Hey, welcome to Three Boys in a Bar, your weekly film and whiskey review podcast. Join Marco, Tom and me, Will, each week as we review a movie and a delicious whiskey. You can follow us on Instagram at Three Boys in a Bar or send us your very own whiskey and film recommendations to threeboysinabar at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review on whatever podcast streaming platform you are listening to us on. Now let's get into this week's episode. And welcome back to Three Boys in a Bar, season two. 2021. Hello, Marco and Tom. Hello. Hello. Season two. Season two. It's so good to be back, guys. We've had a bit of a break over the summer, over Christmas, New Year. Um, How are your summers? Tell me, Marco, what'd you get up to? Uh, Lots of sun uh, and a little bit of a break in between filming because I was lucky enough to be a part of Jack Irish uh, since uh, we wrapped up and started again. Very good. It was quite exciting. Um, but yeah, summer's been fantastic. It's nice to have a balance of work again and, you know, the sun has just been good when it's decided to come out. That's for sure. Beautiful. Tom? Had a great summer. Was out in Perth for two days. <laughs> <laughs> Before you had to come back. <laughs> Before I had to come back. Yeah. Um, Look, it's better than being the, stuck in Perth for two weeks. But you know what? It was two days of catching up on a whole lot of movies from last year that I didn't get to see. Yeah. And it was great. Well, that's actually a really good segue because before we get into the episode proper, I'm interested to hear what you guys may have watched over the break because, well, look, we maybe I'll kick it off because we did all go and see Wonder Woman on Boxing Day when it was released here. Um, Tom, you organised the tickets. How was, <laughs> how was that? And, and what else did you watch over the summer that you might recommend or not as it was? But Wonder Woman. Look, I've got a really long list of movies that I saw over the summer, so I, I will keep it really brief. But all I will say is that Wonder Woman was awful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad. Tell us what you really think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Gal Gadot is is an is an incredible actress, and I'm enchanted by her as Wonder Woman. But it was a terrible plot, terribly written. the 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 special effects weren't great anyway. I just thought there were so many plot holes. Um, I thought the whole experience was just goddamn awful. And I know people really loved the first movie and I think some people came out of the second one saying they were quite entertained. I thought it just made no sense. And um, I really think it was a missed opportunity. It was a poor sequel. And the, the biggest travesty that was left out of the sequel were the amazing electric cello score from the first film were completely absent. There were maybe a little motifs, but that, that apart from Gal Gadot, it's the only reason to go and watch the film. I haven't seen the first one. So the first Wonder Woman experience I had was with you boys in IMAX. And I have to say, well, yeah, it was long, long. Didn't love it. Oh, and, you know, without without any spoilers, but, like, there was really no reason why Chris Pine had to be in this movie. <laughs> no. But Pedro Pascal, when he doesn't act with a helmet on, is amazing. As in reference to The Mandalorian. Um, he's great. But... Uh, to quote his character, <laughs> and it's not even like it's not even a very good quote to subs- to describe this movie. But uh, it's good, but it could be better. It's good, but it could be better. Um, one Which it other wasn't. no, one other movie that you watched, Tom, over summer that you would either recommend or tell people avoid at all costs. I know one is hard, but you know if you can. Oh look, I'll just I, yeah, like I said, I saw heaps. 
I'll just say the one movie I did see that I really liked was Mosul, which is a a military action thriller. Um, it's produced by the Russo brothers, um, but it's actually starring Iraqi national actors as basically a um, takes place during the end of the the siege of Mosul, and they're basically this special forces unit that is taking out ISIS. Um, spoken in the native dialect, um, it was a fantastic film. Like you don't see anything like this nowadays and it had the same kind of intensity as you'd expect from Black Hawk Down. Yeah. But I, I, I just thought the action scenes were so good and the, the, the movie is only about 80 minutes long but it's it's efficient. The characters are relatable. Um, there's some real camaraderie, like creating camaraderie amongst soldiers in a war zone is really hard to do mm. because you don't have a lot of time for that but they they just nailed this film. And especially um, I'm guessing like your classic jarhead kind of back and forth that you come to expect from American military movies is obviously not there. Yeah, right? it's a very different film. Um, and it's a really great perspective um, that you don't really get in... Well, I mean, you know, we, we obviously watch a lot of Hollywood military thrillers, but this is... But I thought it was a really interesting perspective. I agree. I After you recommended it, I watched it and I loved it. And, yeah, I think it's Arabic that it's all spoken in. It's just... It's outstanding and it... The parallels with Black Hawk Down um, are not unwarranted. Very, very good. All right, Marco, what did you watch over summer that you might recommend or tell people to absolutely avoid at all costs? Well, I want to go back in time a little bit. It's not something new, but it's something that I we watched again recently, Tom and I, and I think it, it deserves to be shouted out, is Starship Troopers. Oh, my God. How did you end up watching that again? We just shits and gigs? We were having a nice little writing session, and I don't know how it came up, but we just – we were – a few fifths of whiskey deep and decided <laughs> that it was a great idea to revisit it. But it is a brilliant film. It is such an anti-war propaganda film, even though it's presented as war propaganda. It's just so... It's brilliantly nuanced. The <laughs> Surprisingly so, considering how campy some of it is. And the special effects still hold up. Even, what, 20 years later? It was 90, 96, I think it was. But even, oh, 97, yeah, 97. yeah. And even now it still holds up really well. And, you know, Denise Richards, mwah. <laughs> no, but so, so in terms of like a movie that yeah. you would really watch and a movie that you'd really avoid, we really loved the first one and we're like, you know what, this was really good. Maybe we should watch the second one. The second one was goddamn awful. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really big mistake, that. It really was. But I will say I, I'm really disappointed that it didn't garner more support when it was actually made. I mean, it didn't release very well, even though it had a hundred and something million dollar budget. No kidding. It was a huge budget film and it basically just fell flat, which is why the second film only had a budget of about nine million. So less than a tenth of the budget, which was yeah. easily ten times worse. But, yeah, the film was great and it's only now sort of re reached a bit of cult status because of like the the anti-war propaganda that it kind of comes out as because it just hams up the idea of, you know, it is good to serve your country and go to war with an unknown enemy, like these bugs from another planet that are apparently throwing asteroids at the planet. It's, it's so far-fetched, but it's just presented in such a matter-of-fact way that you go with it. But it's visceral. It is gory. Oh it's God. visceral. It's... You're really selling this. I, I know what I'm watching after you boys leave tonight. <laughs> it's also just fun. Like, 
Yeah, I love how serious you were. You said it's just fun. <laughs> <laughs> so you're gonna watch this movie mm. and you're gonna enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. No, but like, I mean, it was one of those movies that was just really well made, but it didn't take itself seriously either. Yeah, yeah. And you know, there's a little bit there's a there's enough sophistication to keep an intelligent audience um, engaged, but also enough in there to keep people just entertained and turn their their brains off. Or get their brains sucked out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the exploits of Johnny Rico. Like, Johnny! 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 Oh <laughs> wow, we really kind of went down the path there. Yeah. I love that. All right, all right, I'll put that on my list. Yeah, if I, um, had, a, if I had a teacher like that general, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would die for him. <laughs> I, I have to, yeah, 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 this is now all going over my head. I'm like, all right, I've got to watch this um, and, and move the conversation pretty well, quickly. Will, what were you watching over the summer? Though? I watched a lot of stuff. So I actually had to do a, a little bit of going back through my letterbox just to see what I would recommend to people. But one thing that I did want to call out was Palm Springs with Andy Samberg. I saw that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Andy Samberg with um, Kristen... Melody, J.K. Simmons, Peter Gallagher, um, kind of playing on that um, Groundhog Day theme. So the same day repeating over and over again. It's on Amazon Prime here in Australia and it was just really fun. Um, yeah, it wasn't obviously trying to be Groundhog Day, but that premise and I'm a big Sandberg fan. Brooklyn Nine-Nine is one of my favourite TV shows, comedy TV shows. I think he's really, really funny. Um, yeah, and it was a great kind of holiday summer vibe film to watch so i would definitely definitely recommend that not much that i watched that i wouldn't recommend actually um i'd never one one thing that i did watch i watched garden state for the first time that i'd never seen um which is the zach braff written directed and starring film so um if people haven't seen that that's a big recommendation but that's from like 2011 so yeah well boys it is so good to be back at the bar we're drinking a whiskey that marco brought along today marco give us a quick thing before we actually get into the movie well, uh, I I saw this whiskey in Dan's, and I had I just had to buy it because of um, my one of my early experiences in IMAX with uh, the man sitting to my right, Tom. Oh God, this is, is like an origin story and <laughs> cherry popping. Like, <laughs> what are you about it, to describe? <laughs> it, it is the Shackleton blended malt Scotch whiskey, um, and one of the first times that I went to IMAX to see anything was actually with Tom. When we were, I don't even know how old we were, probably like five or six or something. It was very young. And you were drinking whiskey. And we were drinking Shackleton's whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> it started young, boys. It started young. And, and it was a documentary on Shackleton. Now, I don't remember anything about Shackleton. I just vividly remember going to IMAX and being blown away by the experience, even though I have no memory of what Shackleton's exploits were. Because this was a time when IMAX only did these like almost National Geographic type films. There was no, you know, James Bond or Wonder Woman. It was, yeah. No, it was certainly where there was maybe one blockbuster that was shown in IMAX at a time. It mm. wasn't like, you know, you'd see Tenet, you go see Wonder Woman, you go see like whatever the new Superman thing is. Like it was just, you know, penguins in 3D and Shackleton's exploitations. But um, yeah. So I thought I just absolutely had to mm. buy this and tell the story to start off 2021. All right. Well, we will be sh shipping, sipping the Shackleton blended malt Scotch whiskey while we talk about drum roll. Tom's choice this week, season two, episode one, The Dry. Tom, take it away. Thanks, Will. Well, The Dry came out in 
nationally across Australian theatres um, on the 1st of January of 2021. And given that we've just had a we've just had Australia Day, I think it's 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 appropriate that we celebrate that we celebrate with an Australian movie coming into our second season. <laughs> the, anticipation, I, I, the anticipation I take a deep breath because I have heard so many people talking telling me how much they loved The Dry but unfortunately I did not like this film wow, I'm wow. very sorry to say alright to the synopsis so so Eric Banner um, a great actor plays Aaron Falk an AFP agent who's sent back to his hometown to solve the murder of one of his best mate's family it is suspected that his best friend who's, whose name is Luke killed his family and then killed himself. However, his parents disagree with this and so what and what they do is they assign Aaron to look into this murder and figure out whether or not it actually happened the way it is, it's said to have gone down or whether there is something more sinister at work in the town. The issue is that Aaron Falk has a bad history in this town. He was actually run out of town because he is a suspect in an earlier murder when he was a teenager. Amongst him are various people, including his an old friend of his, Gen- an old flame, I guess, Genevieve O'Reilly, um, play, who plays Gretchen. He and a rookie cop, Greg Rako, who's played by Kira O'Donnell, join forces to go and solve this crime. I thought... Now, there's, now this film is going to do well internationally, in my view. It, it's got some great... It, it, the cinematography is excellent. It really captures like a dry, rural, run-down Australian town so well. Shot around Melbourne as well. It was shot in Castlemaine, Horsham, northwestern Victoria... There, the, the lighting is fantastic. Um, the cinematography by Stefan Dacio is is excellent. I thought the the production design was was impeccable. By and a shout out there to Ruby Mathers. What I don't like is just the story. I don't like the script, and I don't like the characters. <laughs> I think this. I think I think this was a very. I mean, I haven't read the book by Jane Harper, but I felt like this story was very simple. I didn't think it was a very I don't think this was a very uh, sophisticated crime novel like, say, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was, mm. which, launched to inter- which launched Sweden film into to international acclaim. Yeah, so much so there was an American remake. Exactly. I, I, ju- I mean, I, I just felt like this was a very simple murder, murder mystery. And the film often sort of flashes back to when, when um, Aaron was a young boy. And really, when you think about it, the storyline of his past and what's going on in the town when he's there solving the murder, there's actually no reason why these stories have any sort... They don't really connect. They're just, you know, he just has a history. I mean, it would be... Rel- like, and, it's an, and I don't really see how... And even if, if there was some kind of redemption arc that this movie is supposed to have, I don't think it was made very clear in this film. And I don't think that this... And I don't... Yeah, like I said, I don't think there's a very... There's a good enough relationship between the two plot lines. Um, and I think this is really comes down to the script writing by Harry Cripps and Robert Connolly. I think that the actors all speak with the same kind of voice. I don't think that they... I don't really think they have much of a personality and I don't really think... I mean, really, the whole what this movie is trying to do is it's trying to be a murder mystery in a unique setting. Mm, and yeah. I can see what they're trying to do here, but they don't achieve that. All you get is some great cinematography, you get some actors saying some bland lines, and the plot kind of moves forward in some way, but I, I really didn't think it was that amazing. I mean, Aaron Falk is an AFP agent. There is nothing in this film that suggests that he is sophisticated or intelligent or even hard enough to be the sort of person that would be an AFP agent, in my opinion. And I think you needed something like that in a character. I think Eric Banner is definitely a, uh, is definitely a presence in the film, 
he's definitely a lead actor and he's not over and he's not overshadowed by any of his fellow by any of his like supporting cast but he's not but you know he doesn't do much in this film um i thought the writing was terrible there's a particular scene for example when he's in his hotel room now like i said he has a bad he's a suspect of a murder so there are people in town who still remember that and they hate him so there's a scene in this film where he's in his hotel room and he hears people coming up to potentially beat him up and literally the dialogue in this film is oi pig where are you get out of here you're a murderer like <laughs> honestly who writes dialogue like that that was amazing i was gonna say that's, was that's very convincing i was <laughs> like uh, have you thought about a career in voiceover <laughs> <laughs> but like honestly like who writes that i mean I, i'm not trying to mean disrespect to the filmmakers and the writers but like there are just some scenes where you don't need to write anything at all like you don't need to have all this crappy expositional waste of space. Well, I feel like that that sort of dialogue really rings of that cliche Aussie. Thank you. It's cliche. Yeah, yeah. it's cliched. Um, How do you know you're in an Australian country town if someone doesn't go like, "Oi, pigs, <laughs> oi, mate, I'm gonna fuck you up, mate." Yeah, <laughs> and it's both accurate but cringy at the same time when when on screen. Which, and is, which is why it'll be better internationally because we cringe because we've seen so much of that characterised across Australian drama that when we see it, it's like, uh, not again. But mm. for an international audience, they'll be like, wow, these, these Aussies in country towns are, can be really uncouth. But this is what I mean. Like, for example, you, there's a lot of reference to, and, and I don't mean the pun, the dialogue is also quite dry, but <laughs> there's... But there's <laughs> Damn it, Tom! <laughs> but anyway, um, that I, moment when someone finds something extremely funny, <laughs> and you're like, "Yeah." But there's a, there's a point in the film when there are a lot of references in the film to you know how there's obviously been there hasn't been a lot of water in a long time, so people are obviously using sort of dirty water and things like that. I doubt that that is what happens in rural Victoria. I think that there's. I, I think you would make sure that there's clean water. I don't think that's really the situation. I could be wrong, but um, but I think that really they they really sort of ham up all that stuff because I do think that there would be people overseas that think that that's what it's like in rural Australia, and I think that's what the book does a lot of. It really sells Australia in a rather um, uh, in a rather ghastly way, I guess, um, a dry-stricken, barren town. Um, is something that's instantly relatable to audiences anywhere. So I think this film is going to do very well overseas. And uh, and I definitely know people who love the film who have seen it. Um, unfortunately, that wasn't me. Um, but I will say just one more thing. A big shout-out, though, to John Paulson, who plays Scott Whitlam. This is his first performance since he played a member of the Impossible Missions Force in MI2. In Sydney, he is he is Billy Baird, the helicopter pilot. Oh, that guy, that guy. Yeah. You know, like an Australian, <laughs> an Australian relic. Yep, this man, this man did that film. hasn't 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 at least an IMDb hasn't been in anything else significant since. This is his first role back. So welcome back to the world of film, my friend. Um, it shows. I. <coughs> oh, oh that's, I that's, feel that's like so I feel like we're gonna. Yeah, Marco, you've just like ruined. The <laughs> <laughs> Turn, turning off all comments on on social media for this week. 
Um, no, but but um, I would say that this look. Unfortunately, I didn't think this was a great film. I'm sorry. Hmm. What do you reckon, Marco? Do you agree with Tom? Look, I I wouldn't have said that I agreed with Tom before he started talking, but he makes some very good arguments. And while I it hasn't swayed me into not enjoying this film because I did enjoy it, it certainly, on reflection, has taken a little bit of the sheen off it. I mean, I thought generally the dialogue through most of the film was quite good when compared to a lot of other Aussie dramas where the dialogue is so expositionary all the time, like gun falls on the floor. They're like, oh, no, my gun. Has fallen on the floor. Oh, it's over there. And then we have to have an insert on the gun (laughs) to make sure that we know it's really far away from the actors, which I really liked that. It didn't do that all the time. Sure, there was that one scene where, like, it was that was a very shit scene, I will say. Yet, I agree with you completely. But generally, I thought, like, the pacing was quite good. I thought the performances were quite good across the board. It was entertaining. It was quite a slow film, but it didn't feel really slow for me. Like, I was captivated enough to want and given enough information that I wanted to know more. And I thought that. Like part of that was probably because cutting to the B story, which was him as a teenager and what happened with with Ellie and and Luke and all that sort of thing. It was it was a change of pace that kept you interested because it was a side story, sort of pushing along his motivations and who he was as a character. Because ultimately, while he gives a lot, Eric Banner gives a lot to this role. He also is quite muted in a lot of ways. And that's not meant as a criticism. It's very much there's a subtlety to his performance because he doesn't talk a lot in this film. Not to the levels of like, you know, uh, Tom Hardy and Mad Max, but he is <laughs> relatively stoic and silent, which I feel like is quite true of people working for the AFP. I think that his character was steely in a way that wasn't super overt wasn't super macho which like that landed for me obviously it didn't land for you so much in the writing and the the characterization but yeah I thought Eric Banner was phenomenal I thought he gave just enough nuance to everything he said and did that it wasn't just phoning it in it was it was quite real everything he was going through especially the final scene I thought the final scene which I'm not going to spoil anything of was great it was quite potent for me but uh yeah this yeah and the film as you touched on Tom, the film looks amazing i mean stefan duccio has uh done it again i mean we, we this is the second film we've reviewed that he's shot the other being the invisible man and uh um, yeah we said the exact same thing amazing. he he is going he's from strength there. to strength um and yeah it's only a matter of time before he becomes a household cinematographer name i i reckon Hopefully in the same vein as Roger Deakin, but uh, that's that's pretty high praise. But uh, yeah, uh, this, this film was entertaining. I, I went with it. I wasn't really... I was surprised by the ending, mostly because it kind of didn't make any sense, but that doesn't really matter. It was still entertaining when we got there and as any sort of murder mystery cop drama thing, I mean, you always... You know, it's got to be one of the people you've met. So it's just a matter of trying to navigate that. And It was interesting 
albeit out of left field. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that last point because I think the person who we discover is responsible for the crime, I don't, I'm not sure whether it was in the performance, the direction or even the editing. I, sh- I really struggled and having not read the book, I believe from the conversation I've had with people who have read it, the crime and the person responsible is that's a bit more fleshed out and and in the film I feel whether yeah it, it, whether it was in the performance the direction or the editing it, it was a bit of a non sequitur I, I kind of couldn't attribute what had happened to this person so but I, I but that aside I, I think the pacing of the film as you just said Marco is is really consistent and as a murder mystery with those intercuts of the flashbacks, it is a new Aussie-flavoured film, I think, and and certainly, certainly something I've never seen before. All those flashbacks to the 70s were shot on, on uh, well, you certainly using lenses from the 70s as well, which was an interesting kind of cute thing that, that uh, the cinematographer obviously did there. But I kind of tend to uh, agree somewhere in the middle or maybe – yeah, we, we, we're kind of talking about a, an Aussie film that perhaps reaches uh, greater heights than others. Um, but, Tom, as you were talking, again, having I haven't read the book, but I was wondering whether some of these, some of the world of this film has been, w- would have been more enjoyable through reading the novel and certainly cinematography of... Northern Victoria is beautiful and stunning, as we talked about, but relying on that as, as, a, as a character in the film and almost leaning on that too much, yeah, for you, it pulled you out, I, I feel, for me, yeah, it, it's, yeah, I didn't love this film, to be honest, I, I, it engaged me and it's certainly one of the better Aussie films I've seen of, of recent times and I did enjoy Eric Banner's performance, but um, that said, it's still left me feeling a little bland, to be honest. I, I don't – I find myself not knowing how to contribute much more to the conversation. Well, the I, passing I, fancy, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those films that you come out of it feeling – like at least I found myself thinking I really enjoyed it when I came out. But once you start really thinking about it and delving into it and starting to dissect it a little bit more – it is kind of hollow in a way. And it falls back on stereotype for me. Yep. So all the different characters of yep. the town I just felt were caricatures and perhaps, again, in the book there's more given so that they feel more fleshed out. But with the restrictions of a two-hour film, it, it for me was just playing on, on a stereotype and, and having lived in this country now for many years, it's it, it just felt cliched and... I laughed with a friend because although this is set in a very different time with a very different story to Baz Luhrmann's Australia, I feel like it was playing the same kind of strings. You've got the <laughs> the regional setting, the there's a romantic storyline element, there's a uh, yeah, and all the figures of the town and the larrikin, and then the you know you've got a closeted gay guy, you've got somebody who's come from the the city, yeah, you sort of tick in all these boxes and it just feels a little, um, yeah, cliched, stereotyped. I mean, are we seeing 
it's like the renaissance of the Ozploitation, except it's not so overt and campy as Ozploitation used to be. <laughs> I mean, you look at Mad Max. I mean, Mad Max is technically still an Ozploitation film, but the new Hollywood version is like almost unrecognisable to what came before it. But it's still set in Australia. <laughs> is Mad Max, even though it was shot in Zambia or whatever, still supposed to be set in Australia? Yeah. yeah. Oh. So it was. It was the re- the only reason why they had to relocate was because it they were originally going to film in Lake Eyre. <laughs> yeah. And Lake Eyre has been at the time was very dry for a long time, and then it rained, and, and then it rained. got really lush and, and, it was, and, and it was beautiful. And yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew that story. I just didn't realize that that actually Mad Max is technically yeah. set in, I guess, a post-apocalyptic Australia. There you go. Mm. Learn something every day. But maybe this is like a a different version of that same exploitation, which the original Mad Maxes were capitalizing right. on, like you know your Crocodile Dundee's Mad Max. I mean, there there are more, less sort of irreverent films to have come out of that mm. time, but maybe this is a trying to get into that same thing where you're using the backdrop as a character to appeal to international mm. audiences who don't see Australia in a particular way and who yeah. still have that kind of larrikin connection to it but also want to see something a bit more mature. And Marco, I think just going back to a point that you made about how Eric Banner was playing a character who is stoic, I definitely see where you're coming from with that. I guess the problem I had with it was that the writing didn't develop the plot well enough to bring that out of his character. And I think and like I think what they what this story needed, and I don't really feel like it was it was done very well, was a redemption arc. He needed to actually be motivated to solve this murder because he had to he saw it as a way of proving to people that he was actually not something that people thought he was. Like healing the past. Exactly. The, the and I don't really around. and I don't really yeah. feel like the film did that. It, it was kind of in, instead that the, the, the previous the plot the past and the present were kept as two distinct storylines and the there and you know the the how the past story is resolved actually didn't do anything. It didn't resolve any you you find out you find out how his his friend from his past was killed but it really doesn't bear anything on what he's doing in the present and what it means for him and whether that sort of and how the and you know it bears no relation it doesn't do anything to any sort of you know redemption arc i would have expected there would be in a film like this maybe i'm maybe i'm saying that there, sh- there are story tropes here like maybe i'm sorry maybe i'm thinking that you know the story should have gone in a certain direction but i think or there were certain conventions that should be followed in this case but like i really didn't understand why we had why we had this this backstory. I almost felt like it was a personal redemption arc rather than a public one. Oh, it didn't need to be, but I, I, don't, I don't think it was made very clear that this was a redemption for him. I thought it was made clear enough because, I mean, as, as a kid and as an adult even, being blamed for a friend of his death is not an easy thing to go through. I'm pretty sure as a character it would have led him to one, move out of town, and two, become a police officer. So for him to ha- to be absolved of it, even though he knows that he didn't do it, to finally have it put to rest, I mean, we don't see the aftermath of that revelation. Maybe what you're saying is that there, if there was another 20 minutes, we see some sort of revelation from it. But I thought it was more of a personal thing where 
he finally knows what happened to his friend and knows that he had nothing to do with it. Because, I mean, if somebody says something to you enough times, I feel like he, he believed it to a certain extent, even though he wasn't actually responsible. But even when he finds out what happened and he breaks down and cries, and I'm sort of thinking to myself, why? Like, why cry? Like, why? What was... Like, uh, sure, like, you want to cr- create some kind of emotional depth in this character and you want there to be... You want this to be a dramatic moment, but why? It just made no sense to me, and I, I just think this film was. Ugh. I mean, well, it, sorry, you, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the creatives in the room are like, I know why. <laughs> Pick me, 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 me. me. I've, you said, go. I've said enough. You go. I'll, oh, I'll chime in. Oh I'd God. love to. I'd, no, no, I'll no. Like you it. go. You go. This is a new me, new season. I'm going to oh. talk less. It's a lie. That, but you better go. <laughs> but will, as an actor, we need your view on this. And we will, and we will get it. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, you will. But the the reason why it was such a thing is because he loved this girl as a kid. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't in love with Gretchen. He was in love with the other girl. That's why he said the things that he did. So to be blamed for her murder, and that never be solved, that's the chip on his shoulder that he has lived with forever, and to finally be absolved of, and and it's not even absolved, but it's more. Now he has closure as to what actually happened that day because he still feels guilty. Whether he did it or not, he still feels guilty. And he probably still feels guilty afterwards because, I mean, in one way he is responsible. But... I still feel like it didn't make sense to me. I'm sorry. Will. (laughs) I feel like all this pressure now to kind of give my judgment you know to split the difference uh, look i i'm going to sound like a politician i i see where you're both coming from because i think <laughs> marco you're right that that the emotional release that eric banner kind of gives in his performance is absolutely a resolution of this thing that he's held on for a long time and probably even drove him to become a police officer which i don't think is made particularly clear in the film but we can assume that that that's a big driver but at the same time, Tom, I also understand what you're saying in that look on the surface, I kind of can entertain that it's a bit cheesy. If I'm a bit more generous, I I, I think when you have that level of sort of emotional release after the film that we've just watched, it it's a bit of a non sequitur. It kind of, yeah, it doesn't necessarily fit in with the character. So in terms of plotting out the arc, it, it hasn't quite, the payoff isn't quite there. We have, we have it, he, it's almost like in the performance or the writing and the direction, it, it has, we haven't quite earned that as an audience. So it, it, it's a bit jarring. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting on the fence with that one. I, I kind of see what you're saying. Will, thank you. I, I'm happy to defer to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just, I just didn't feel like, I just didn't feel like the movie had evolved in the way it did yeah. to have earned that. At, that, that kind of climax. And, and from friends who I've talked about who have read the book, the flashbacks and the connection with the past has is more fleshed out. So I think perhaps what Eric Banner has captured is more of the sensation of what a reader may get in the book, whereas it's something that the filmmakers weren't able to achieve in the filmmaking. So he's he's gone to that place where as a reader you might understand more and be more aligned with but if you just watch the film 
yeah, it, it may or may not make sense depending on your kind of interpretation. Mm. I'm happy with that as well. I think we can meet in the middle. Um, <laughs> happy families. We're talking about meeting in the middle. We've got a bottle of whiskey in the middle of the table. And it's always it's always a great, great pleasure when we can take a breath, oh, pop that cork, and listen to the dulcet tones of Marco Mitchell. Tell us about uh, tell us about the whiskey he's bought. Well, uh, thanks, Will. As I as I pour us a little bit more of this beautiful whiskey that we've been sipping on, uh, I'm going to read a little excerpt from the back of the box because <laughs> it is just it poetry is pure, to the ears. It is it is pure marketing poetry. But uh, Shackleton ordered 25 cases of the McKinley Rare Old Highland Malt Whiskey to take on his expedition of 1907. In 2007, 11 intact bottles containing this perfectly preserved whiskey were recovered from under the ice beneath Shackleton's base camp. This has inspired our master blender, Richard Patterson, to create this Shackleton whiskey as a personal and deeply felt project. He has combined the best Highland malt whiskies, allowing them to marry over a long period to create an enigmatic blended malt with a dash of body and a whisper of smoke. Now, I'm not going to read the notes because the rest of it are just notes, but this is actually quite a nice whiskey. <laughs> it's For the all, opposite all of the dry. That's the most <laughs> flowery description ever. <laughs> I was like, wow, wow. We are just talking about something you drink, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. it, it is... Uh, it's heavily romanticized. But I mean the the is, person is who found those old bottles like you know it was exactly 100 years. Uh, you know, I'm like I'm skeptical. I'm like you reckon he he may have found them in 2006 and but was like I'm not going to tell anyone until next year <laughs> just so it's so poetic that it's 100 years. Yeah. Anyway, I wouldn't be surprised to be perfectly honest because the story it sounds good. Yeah. It sounds great like 100 years later this very specific whiskey. But um, I am actually really enjoying this whiskey, though, all jokes aside, because it, it is quite smooth but has like a layer of smoke. Mm. Kind of comes in from end. beneath the surface. Yeah. Yeah. From under the ice. <laughs> it's already started. It's like episode so one. We're not, drink, we're not drinking on the rocks, by the way, not like Shackleton. <laughs> God, I can't imagine what – imagine – a frozen bottle of whiskey. Because, I mean, I'm no scientist, so in the Arctic at some point you get low enough temperatures that even whiskey's going to freeze, right? Can you have like a whiskey slushy? Because, I mean, there's water in whiskey. You've got to put water in it, right? So, yeah, it freezes. I don't know. I'm now just talking. So if anybody out there is both a whiskey <laughs> lover and a scientist who could school me on it, if you found this buried in the Arctic Circle, would it have frozen? And as it thawed... Would you get like a whiskey slushy? Well, the thing that I'm curious about now that you that you bring that point up is the fact that would the flavor profile be changed from being frozen for a hundred years, and is that ma- is what we are drinking attempting to match the new flavor profile, or is it what it used to what it should have been in 1907? Tom, care to speculate? He's like, give us your give us your knowledge about 1907 whiskeys. I have none. <laughs> it was a very good year. <laughs> no, but I, I'm thoroughly enjoying this whiskey. I mean, it is the the notes 
that I neglected to read out before were a hint of vanilla, uh, honey, <laughs> and orchid fruits with real warmth and a depth at its heart, like Shackleton himself. Oh. <laughs> so, I feel so like they gave that to the PR intern, you know, and he's just like Googled all the, you know, synonyms and adjectives <laughs> you can possibly find associated with whiskey. It's a PR guy's wet dream, though. I mean, you get a whiskey based on Shackleton, you can make any sort of romanticism about it that you want. I want to go back to, you know, your first IMAX experience together, boys, which, you know, I, this makes me chuckle every time um, that I think about it. <laughs> Would you have enjoyed sipping this watching watching Shackleton, the man, the myth, Look, the legend? Shackleton's Antarctic Adventure, which <laughs> is a 45-minute IMAX documentary. 3D or just... Nah, just normal. Oh. Nah, not, not good enough. Um, <laughs> no, but like seriously, seeing seeing Antarctica on an, on, on an IMAX screen is phenomenal. I would definitely have enjoyed watching it, sipping the whiskey. Mm. Maybe not at age 7 or 8. 12. 12 was it? 12. Really this was 12? this was this was the, I think we saw this the day before we started year 7. Of course. Hang on, hang on. Wait, wait, wait. You time. went to IMAX to see something vaguely educational voluntarily. The only time I ever went to IMAX before I uh, know this was if we have to go here mum. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my god, a mum story. We are breaking new ground on the podcast, boys. <laughs> Do we really have to go this go this <laughs> way? I might have to drink some more whiskey before we delve into this. Uh, uh, who's, join who's join who's us on our, on, our, on our sequel podcast. <laughs> <laughs> our affiliates. <laughs> Who, whose mother was responsible for this? Mine. And, and her name is? Alison. Big shout out to Alison. Anyway, and say, like, you know, making, <laughs> making an expedition back around to the whiskey. This is a fine drop. And for the price point, it's not bad, although it's probably more expensive because of the Shackleton name. Albeit, it's quite palatable. I'm enjoying it. And it's not as complex or as good as some of the other whiskies we've tried, but it has a subtlety. It's got a little bit of the smoke, that little bit of the peatiness coming through on the finish. It's an enjoyable whiskey. Perfect for the warmer weather we're having. It's 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 got a it's it's got a nice smooth quality and then you get an icy bite and then you get a warm finish. Sounds like frostbite. Oh god. <laughs> oh my god. Well, I guess it's up to me to uh move things along. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, let's get back to the film. We need to score it. We need to, for our first episode of 2021, season two, what do we think, Marco, out of five? What are you giving the dry? I think I'm giving it a three out of five. I don't think, on reflection, it reached any really great heights in terms of drama in general or Australian drama in general, but it was a palatable film. It was entertaining, even though it had its pitfalls. I mean, I, I wasn't bored even though it was quite slow. It was beautiful to watch. I mean, Eric Banner is a joy to watch, even if he doesn't have as much to work with and as much range to sort of work with as he has on other projects. But it's really nice to see him back on the big screen because I haven't seen him in a film for quite a while. Been a long time. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, three out of five. I'm going to go three as well. Um, and it sits pretty – I don't know whether it sits in the – certainly sits in the top – yeah, I think it probably sits in my top ten – 
which I know I haven't spoken so favorably favorably about it um but i would definitely recommend it to people to watch so i'm giving it a three out of five as well tom i'm gonna give it a two um i do admit that there i do acknowledge that there is some technical excellence in this film the cinematography is great and you know thank god for (laughs) i should probably shouldn't say this but thank god that um australia's ozone layer has opened up because it's it's actually the reason why we have such unique light in australia and it looks so beautiful beautiful on a camera but um but you know, like it just—it it does look. It—it it, it is a good-looking film, but like I really question the substance. Um, I'm sorry to say that. I think I know how fragile the Australian film industry is, um, but I do think that we still need to make good movies. And I think this really came down to script. I could have—I could have reached a different conclusion had I read the book. Maybe I would have been able to sort of appreciate the film a little bit more. But I—I I haven't. And. I really just think that there was not there. I don't, I don't think there was enough meat on the bone for this film to be a bit dry. Uh, a recommendation. It was a bit dry. <laughs> so two for me. Two. All right, boys. Well, it is so good to be back. I've I've loved hanging out watching this film. Okay, and so next week, Marco, you're on. What are we What are we watching? Well, n- next week, boys, we will be watching High Ground, um, another Australian film, which. Uh, only released, what, around Australia Day, I think it was. So um, very excited. Like Simon Baker, Jacob Jr., Nangle. I'm really, really sorry if I'm saying that wrong. I really hope I'm not. Um, but another sort of quintessential period in Australian peace. Hopefully it uh, reaches higher heights than the dry did for all of us. Awesome. So tune in next week for Higher Ground. This week it was the dry. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Will. Marco, thanks for the whiskey. Cheers, Will. Cheers, Tom. Uh, Listeners, so wonderful to have you back. Please hit us up on all our socials, Instagram or via Gmail account. Uh, Love to hear what you're watching in 2021, what you think we should review. Otherwise, we'll catch you next week, boys. We'll see you then.